Hey everybody, welcome back to another Bald Move Prestige movie. This time we're talking about 2019's black and white classic one-to-one or nearly one-to-one ratio shot film, The Lighthouse. Uh, is directed by Robert Eggers, which you may recall he directed this little 2015 movie called The Witch, which I mean Jim and I really, really enjoyed. Yeah. It's, it's more like Vitch because it's spelled with two V's. It's a really long, drawn-out V. Uh, it was written by Robert Eggers with his brother, Max Eggers, loosely based on an unfinished, the final unfinished work of fiction by Edgar Allan Poe, The Lighthouse. Also apparently um, based on a real-life story, uh, loosely, The Smalls Lighthouse Tragedy of 1801. Uh, I found it had a lot of like the telltale hearts in it, or more like the telltale farts. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And it stars Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe and maybe 30 seconds of some other human beings. But it's all these guys in very limited space. Uh, This movie is shot to feel claustrophobic. Um, I I, I don't. What what did you think of this film? Because if I start talking, I I might not stop for 20 minutes. (laughs) Uh, I feel you, man, because I thought this movie was incredible. Uh, I loved it. There's. I, I and let me preface all this by saying I don't know that I fully understand it. I don't know that I came away with anything that this movie wanted to tell me, but the experience of watching it was so good uh, that I didn't feel like any of that mattered, and I thought I got just enough of what they were putting down to feel like it was worth my time. Uh, and and the witch is one of my favorite horror movies of the modern era uh, of the the last decade, at least. Um, I think it's fantastic in creating a mood. Uh, and and the tension, I don't recall what the trailer was like, but I know a lot of people were saying, oh, the trailer, you know, makes it seem as if it's going to be just another horror movie with a series of jump scares and bullshit. Turns out it was nothing like that. It was the exact type no. of mood and horror that I want from my uh, horror films. And this brings a similar eerie sort of tension to the table. And it does it with not just some truly astounding performances from those two main actors that you were talking about. But the way that it uses the cinematography and the sound, um, it, it all creates this muddy mess where, which is intentional, right? Like I, I say muddy mess in the best way possible. Um, that you, you aren't sure if the thing you're seeing in the distance is a ship come to save you or a, a, a body come to haunt you, right? Like you're not sure if the sound you're hearing is a foghorn, if it's a creaking board or if it's a low rumbling fart from the protagonist, like mm-hmm. it, it, there's, it's just this confusing mess of a foggy stew that feels incredible to watch, to experience. Yeah. I mean, there's moments of this film where I literally laughed out loud at like the absurdity <laughs> or the crudity that was happening. There's moments where I covered my mouth and like shock and horror. Mm-hmm. There are just crazy visuals and audio phenomenon uh, committed to this film. Uh, there's, there's a scene late in the film that I think I like, it, it's just going to stay with me forever. Um, yeah. I, I had been saving this movie like a bottle of fine wine. Um, I knew that everybody was loving it. I, you know, I, I'm one of those who has been quietly impressed with Robert Pattinson's uh, post Twilight career. You know, it's sad. The boy lost a sparkle in this film. He's not spark. <laughs> he's not. He's not shining at all. 
Um, but yeah. what he is doing is just per, just doing a raw searing performance and standing toe to toe with Willem Dafoe at his most unhinged, corked up, and primed and ready to blow on you. Man, I like, I, I went through Willem Dafoe's uh, IMDb catalog looking for a film that I thought he was better in, and I couldn't find it. This is like a career defining <laughs> performance from both of these guys, in my opinion. Especially since he's such a unique looking individual and this film makes full use of his just like wide eyes and his like improbable array of teeth and his <laughs> his increasingly craggy features and his wiry yeah. beard and his shock of hair. Like he looks like the saltiest dog that is washed up on the shore. Uh, you know, he, he, he served. He was a son of a gun born between two two cannons midships of a sailing vessel that shipwrecked an old age and washed him up on this rock and now he's a wiki serving this lighthouse like he's just this this the way he talks uh like a like a pirate from the Caribbean mm-hmm. uh and you've got Robert Pattinson as like just a Boston baked bean uh <laughs> sure but again it's like there's so much just crazy that doesn't seem like it should work, let alone be horrific or scary, and yet it is. I mean, mm-hmm. I, is, is scary the right word? It's more of just like... It's um, um There's just an enormous amount of, of tension. tension in this movie. Uh, and, and I compare yeah. it... The only thing I can compare it to, and the things that I immediately noticed, and I think the movie is leaning into, is comparisons with The Shining. Um, the Shining mm-hmm. has a similar mm-hmm. amount of dread and tension and you know, d- disturbing, unsettling visuals that aren't in and of themselves particularly horrific. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's just yeah, it's the funny way it because it. like um, this guy with the witch, which worked mostly because of his mastery at building tension and then releasing it and just uh, sheer atmospheric dread. Mm-hmm. It's a lot like um, I've really enjoyed the works of James Wan you know, I guess what what would you call him? Like the master of like not quite the jump scare, but like it's, the it's camera a... pull. Like there's there's misdirection. Like you know the like oh shit that thing in the background that you didn't even notice is now the scariest yeah. thing you've ever seen. Um, and like you know trying to build jump scares in plain sight. Mm-hmm. Um, uncanny maybe that this guy just is with with. Um, setting and use of light and shadow and sound is able to build horrific uh, things out of fairly mundane you know i've always actually kind of fantasized about being a lighthouse keeper i thought it would be a cool job like yeah you get your you're stuck at sea and a snug little quarters with a you know, some routine manual labor and some books to keep you company and a fire to maybe have a dog there with you. That would be uh, kind of like an, an idealized existence for certain for, for for parts of me at certain times in my life. Sure. And this film is a re- repudiation of all of those dreams because <laughs> it doesn't <laughs> you. Just- you I would get st- I would get stationed with Willem Dafoe, and uh-huh. and bad things would start happening to me. Stuck alone with an um, old man and his farts. Yeah, I don't. I mean, it's one of those things where, like, I think a detailed discussion of this movie really wouldn't spoil things. But on the other hand, I went into this movie knowing nothing except for yeah. um, it had a very stark look. Um, it was shot kind of deliberately to to ape that classic silver screen of Hollywood, that, that, that very silvery 
uh, emulsion or whatever in a film that made it not just black and white. Like this, calling this black and white doesn't do the movie justice. It's truly silver. Um, and it had very well regarded performances by Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe. I remember being excited when I originally heard that this was attached to the same guy. This is the second film, his follow up from The Witch, uh, this, this Robert Eggers. But by the time I sat down to watch it to, the last night, I had forgotten about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of rediscovered it when I was doing my research. Um, but yeah, it's boy, it such an experience. And I'm with you. I don't, there's a couple things in this film that seem very open to a plain reading of it. Yeah. But then there's a lot of like uh, a couple of details I didn't catch, which we're going to talk about that. I got on research that like, I think will make this movie a very rewarding rewatch to see because there's multiple also like I, so there's every once in a while, like one out of 10 movies I read uh, or we we watch and I can read like an infinity amount of reviews of and mm-hmm. like people's thoughts and opinions. And this I saw like four or five really compelling interpretations that may or may not hold up on repeat watch. But God, it's it's just great. Yeah, this is a, this is a movie that I'm not going to understand why I feel the way I feel about it for another five, 10 years. Like I'm going to have to see this movie multiple times uh think about its its themes and its messages and try somewhere along the way to understand uh how i feel about it but my initial reaction was holy shit that was amazing um and it's so easy to watch that's the thing that surprised me about it i guess because i went into it thinking okay i better hold on to my butt because this thing is gonna be heavy and it's gonna be you know, like like a Roma kind of thing where I've got to sit through it mm. almost. Um, mm-hmm. And then by the time... Yeah, really eat your vegetables. Yeah, yeah. But then five minutes in, uh, Willem Dafoe had farted in Robert Pattinson's face twice. And I'm like, oh, what is this thing? And, yeah. and I kept asking and I'm re-asking while watching it, what is this thing? But every time I asked it, I felt better about what it was for whatever it was. Here's what's new and premium content for our club members. No lunch this week, as I'll be traveling on vacation, but get ready for next week when we have the rare, elusive, dare I say premium lunch with Talitha and Aaron. And while you're waiting for the return of the king, don't forget May is the time to switch your Patreon tiers to make sure you maintain your full benefits by June. Stop by support.ballmove.com to check your Patreon levels to see the new benefits and decide which one is right for you. And finally, tickets are now on sale for Badass Fest 6. Come meet us live and in person, watch a mystery badass film with us, and then hear us record the podcast right there in front of you in a theater packed with Bald Move fans. Get your details and your tickets at baldmove.com live. If you want more Bald Move in your life, head over to support.baldmove.com right now to find out how you can get tons of bonus audio and video content plus ad-free feeds. been listening to quite a few bald move podcasts now but you're not in the club whoo boy you are missing out not only are all of our premium club podcast feeds completely ad free but we have lots of other great content exclusively for people in the club there's a weekly lunch with jim and aaron where we chat with fans about anything and everything from tv and films food fun life advice and more but there's also off the clock our premium podcast where we talk about all the shows we don't have time for on our public feeds 
Plus, you get access to our full spoiler-filled first-run movie reviews of our newly released films. Don't forget Instant Take and Talk Podcast, where we give our hot takes and discuss television shows with our fans live and immediately after the episode airs. With mega shows like House of the Dragon coming this summer, we're going to have lots to talk about. Not to mention access to our fun and friendly community of club members with exclusive Discord channels and a dedicated forum. It's one of the best places on the internet to hang out and chat about pop culture. Bottom line, you're helping two regular type guys in the Midwest make the content you like to listen to, which some would say is reward unto itself. Help keep the lights on and the bits flowing at Bald Move. And get some awesome content for yourself. Head to support.baldmove.com to join the club today. Okay, well, maybe we should do the thing where we do a synopsis of the film to tell people, you know, what this is about if they've not seen it before. Um, and then we can get into the heavy duty spoilers because I think there's very little we can say about this film other than its premise that that's I, I don't. I, yeah, you should go in knowing almost nothing about this film mm-hmm. um, because it's part of it is the experience. And I wouldn't want to rob anyone of that. Uh the film's premise is this is in the late 18th century, I would say, um, somewhere in the 1880s, 1890s point of point of view. Uh, you have two men going to an offshore lighthouse, a far offshore lighthouse somewhere on the east coast of the United States. Uh, and they're going to take a four week stint of manning this lighthouse before they'll be relieved. Uh, there is one very experienced wiki or lighthouse keeper played by Willem Dafoe. And there is a rookie, uh, a, a person who wa- did work for Log Camp and is wanting to seek a new life uh, uh, on the sea. And uh, he is joining him for his first stint uh, to, to hopefully start his life over. Um, and that's that's the movie. That's the movie. These men have to deal with each other through labor, through conversations, through storms. Um, they have to, uh, endure each other's company, take solace from each other's company until the tender comes back to pick him up four weeks later. Mm-hmm. That's it's, it's an, it's an hour 40 of that. And <laughs> the, the, the thing you'll notice right away is the sound design, oh, God. the oppressive yeah. constant bleeding of this foghorn, mm-hmm. this insanely loud thing that never stops. You'll notice the claustrophobic, nearly box framing of, you know, like uh, the rarely seen uh, widescreen or I guess a uh, narrow screen black bars on the sides of the 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 film in this case. Yeah, it's uh, a four by three aspect ratio and it's immediately jarring. Uh, yes. Y- you notice it right yes. off the bat. And you'll also notice the again, it's this is not just black and white. This is. Uh, nearly monochromatic, extremely high contrast, ex- extreme like like when a source of light comes on, it nearly blinds the camera. When things are dark, it's like the film is rolling and and, and oil. Um, the, like the the visuals are stark, mm-hmm. are stark. Um, and that's that's the backdrop in which this this uh, film takes place. Uh. I want to talk about some of the influences because there's I thought there was a lot of the Edgar Allan Poe, especially the Telltale Heart, like some but someone being driven mad by someone else's uh, um, existence. Uh, okay. There's a lot of like Lovecraftian Cthulhu horror in the margins of this film, mm-hmm. you know, dealing with like uh, half human hybrids. Check. Uh, tentacly beasts check uh, arcane things happening in the midnight hours by some old crazy person check 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 
Um, and I think it doesn't really embrace any of those, but it draws on like the like my subconscious knowledge of these tales to kind of like having me jump at shadows throughout various points in the movie where like, I'm like, Oh, I, th- I think, I think I know where they're going with this. Um, whereas by the time I get done with the movie, I really not even sure what I saw or my, my interpretation of it. Um, yeah. what did you, what did you think about that? The, the influences that you saw? Uh, I, I mean the, the, there are some very, very overt ones. Um, I, I'm not even, familiar i wouldn't even call myself a novice when it comes to greek mythology and and the you know mythology of the gods but like the prometheus angle is just totally unmistakable it is the last shot of this movie and it's also it permeates the entire thing um yeah if you played through the god of war campaigns you'll understand 90 percent of mythology in this film right right um and, and one of those shots being uh, just a very uh, an extremely striking visual um, of Willem Dafoe completely naked standing in front of a kneeling Robert Pattinson beaming light into his face from his own eyes. Uh, it, you know, it's shit like that with with Zeus and Prometheus and like the the taking of the the fire or giving it to to humanity and creating their society and their intelligence and like you feel all of that and this is why i say it'll take me another 5 10 years to understand how i feel about this movie cuz i feel it i don't know what it means necessarily did you see that that shot was a reconstruction of this 1904 painting by a person named Sasha Schneider no but I, I did see that the last shot is is very very similar to a painting uh yeah about prometheus um so there's this this idea and and I got when I saw that shot uh, I didn't recognize obviously the the painting it was based on but it made me think of like I I had this um I had this interpretation I was building that like maybe Willem Dafoe was the lighthouse okay because he's got this light blazing out and he's illuminating he's also like constantly warning Robert Pattinson's character um, of da- the danger that he's in, like, oh, you can't, you can't bully the seabirds, lad, and you, you're, you shouldn't spill your beans, and you're, you know, like he, he's, he, he's kind of like the lighthouse for Robert Pattinson's soul. Uh-huh. Um, but and then when I saw that film, like, ah, or when I saw that shot, I'm like, ah, that that seals it. But then, like, the third act of the movie kind of veers away from that, and now. Uh, boy, the, 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 that's the thing. It's like the, the, the crucial detail that I missed in the first time through is I didn't get that the seagull that was tormenting Robert Pattinson had only one eye, okay. um, which ties into uh, Willem Dafoe's previous lighthouse uh, buddy having one eye, which ties oh, see, into Robert that. Pattinson. <laughs> Right, him him pulling up the lobster trap and seeing the one-eyed you know head that was in it. Uh-huh. Um. But then Robert Pattinson has one eye at the end. And there's a whole other line of interpretation in this film that like this is like you understand that Robert Pattinson was on this thing alone the entire time. And like Willem Dafoe yeah. was his subconscious. Th- this is where and... I feel like the Shining stuff starts to come back in. Right. It's like I mean, there are so many overt references to the Shining in this, but also, yeah, that idea of like he has always been here. Right. Um, yeah. And, you know, Grady telling uh, Jack Torrance that you know you've always been here uh, and sure, seeing sure. him in the photo from forever ago it it gets that feeling of like I'm not quite sure how any of this is possible but that's kind of the point and 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I feel you. It's, at times I felt like Robert Pattinson was, you know, that that old wiki come back to haunt uh, Willem Dafoe's character, Thomas. And at times I felt like Thomas was there simply to torment uh, Ephraim, I think is his name. Mm-hmm. Well, but it's not, right? right? It's also that's Thomas, the... but that's just fucking confusing. I'm not going to say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's the two Thomases. But I, I but I think that's, so that's, that's one of the... The interpretation that I would be trying to um, poke holes at the next time I watch is that these these two men that are named Thomas, uh, the Willem Dafoe version is his subconscious and the uh, the the Robert Pattinson is his active consciousness. You'll notice that like Robert Pattinson is always doing his work by day. Um, Willem Dafoe is always doing his work by night. Yeah. Uh, and Superman. and Robert. Think. Yeah. And Pattinson only has like a dim understanding of what's going on, which you would, you know, like if you, you dimly understand your subconscious and you only really interface with it when you first awake and when you're preparing for bed, hmm. which is the times that they have their, their in-depth conversations. Um, because like, you know, and, and like the fact that this might even be like some kind of recurring purgatory that he's stuck in because that's Prometheus stole forbidden knowledge, fire, tried to give it to mortals. And then his his punishment was he was going to have his guts ripped out and his liver pecked away. Mm-hmm. And then that liver would regenerate and the punishment would begin anew. And there's there's a lot there that like, um, you know. It could be that Robert Pattinson is a lighthouse keeper that just keeps mur- murdering his right. assistants. Um, that he's, you know, that this uh, Willem Dafoe character is just his subconscious, like reminding him of that. Um, there's also like with the liver and alcoholism being a core of this. Like, there's another way to interpret this is that uh, uh, Robert Pattinson's character is a newly dried uh, alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And his liver's metaphorically regenerating through his abstinence only to be torn down by ever more increasingly violent alcoholic binges to the point where at the end of the movie, he's drinking turpentine with honey to get his fix. (laughs) What do they call it? Uh, Monkey pump. Monkey pump. monkey pump. I got to I got yeah. to make a drink called monkey pump. I I want it to have honey. It's one part turpentine, one part honey, Jim. They got the recipe <laughs> no, right there in the no, film. No, no. <laughs> I'd put gin. What are they drinking through most of this gin, I think? Oh god, yeah. It's it's either gin or vodka, probably gin. Yeah. They they mentioned it, gin you know. a few times. So it'd be gin and honey and uh I I don't know what else. A little bit of turpentine. A little bit of turpentine. Maybe some grass. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there you go. How do you chew grass? You rip it out and you swallow it. How do you how do you eat grass with no teeth? You drink it. So I, I think that's the but but um when I was watching it the first time, my my primary lens is like this is an examination of the effects of gaslighting someone. Oh yeah. Because that's, there's many, it feels like they are being gaslit the entire time. Many times in this film, there are things that we see Willem Dafoe do that then he directly accuses uh, Robert Pattinson of doing. Yeah. You know, like, like, like in the end of the movie, it's like very explicit. Like uh, uh, Robert Pattinson's trying to steal the dinghy to get the hell off of that island, uh, wearing his little cork life preserver. And Willem Dafoe comes out there, smashes it up, chases him into the cabin and then says, you've done lost your mind, laddie. You just destroyed our only lifeboat. Mm -hmm. And 
And it's been the, the four also, weeks when, you know, it's maybe been a night of intense drinking. We're not sure. I, that's the other thing I kept on wondering is like, is it possible that Willem Dafoe is just fucking with this guy and it's taken it too far? Like they've only been there a week. And he said, oh, no, we've been here for four weeks. The tender's coming tomorrow. Drink up. And then he drinks and, oh, maybe we missed it. Oh, now there's a storm coming. We don't have any provision. Like, maybe. there is a little hint of that, too. Because, again, in the third act, when they start drinking turpentine, who the fuck knows what's happening? Oh, like, yeah. your brain's melting. Right. Like, what, what, is, what is even... Ha- you can't trust these are two highly unreliable narrators if there's two narrators at all. Yeah, uh, you lose all sense of time, which I think is part of what makes this extremely tense um, and confusing. Because that's the other thing, is I was shocked when it was time for the Tinder to pick up. Like, there only seemed like there has been three or four morning and night cycles. But you could easily believe that, like, well, you know, like, shit. You know, the pa- there's the passage of time. Who knows? I don't I, I, I haven't exactly been keeping track myself. Um, the men's physical appearance never really changes. Mm-hmm. So, like, there's not like, oh, Robert Pattinson starts growing out of beards. You can tell um, there's really nothing. There's no calendar. There's a um, there's like a clock that tells the time and a barometer that tells like how fucked the weather is. But there's no other indication of how long they've been there. Yeah, really, it's just their their uh, mentality. You know, it's it's the degradation of their psyches that is marking time yeah. here. Um, and it's 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 interesting too because this movie keeps you in that tense mode throughout the majority of the runtime, um, and it's doing it with a, a lot of different things. But but there are a lot of movies that would have gone pretty traditional routes where I could see the ending, you know, and I could see the murder. And to some degree, I I did see the murder here coming up, but also certainly not in the way that I expected it to happen. Um, and nothing leading up to it was what I expected. And there's, there's a lot of like scenes where they're extremely drunk and arguing and, and, you know, one moment they're dancing around the table in a mad jig. And then the next moment they're shouting at each other, threatening murder, and and it always just like there's a strange ebb and flow to it that like mm-hmm. you think this is it this is the moment everything's going to come to a head here and they're going to start trading blows and someone's going to get killed and it calms back down with a joke or a fart or something right and then only to maybe even flare up again in the next in the same scene even it's or to have that violent tension be converted to homoerotic yeah yeah sexual and, and energy I think there are themes of, of yeah like masculinity and sexuality and like all of those things are in here and with, you know, uh, uh, around this framework of the lighthouse, which is a phallic symbol. So like there are a myriad of themes going on here that I am not fully competent uh, to or confident that I can tease out of this thing. Yeah. There's also something about like uh, the craving of a father figure's approval. Sure. Um, and I thought that was, but then like, boy, the thing that like, I don't understand at all is walking Willem Dafoe like a dog. Okay. Yeah. I'm with you. No idea. Like that's where the things like I was like, you know, they, they had this, this violent energy and then they start dancing and there's that, that that's a breathtaking scene because these guys are just tear assing. These big physical men are just tear assing in this like six by six area with a table. There's like lanterns. 
like Robert Pattinson viciously just kicks away a prop and it kind of like continues to be kicked. Like, uh, how, how do you even choreograph that thing? And then that turns into them slow dancing, which turns into, I think, Willem Dafoe trying to kiss Robert Pattinson, which then turns into a vicious beating, which then turns into him literally walking him like a dog and burying him alive. Uh huh. And scene, I'm like, ag- again, I don't know how much of that stuff literally fucking happened. Uh, Fair. Yeah. I don't know how much of any of this because the whole film could be like, you know, I could easily interpret it as like a purgatory state, except for like, I guess my default I've seen it's all a dream like be used as a de- it's it seemed like the laziest type of of critical analysis. Like, oh, what if it's just all a fucking dream? So I kind of shy away from that. But there's nothing that directly contradicts that. You know, no, it, um, it feels it has that quality to it, though. Like I said, the shining references are all over this place. He he murders him with an axe. Um, they're talking about some frostbitten maniac roaming the woods, which is exactly how the shining ends. Like th- there are a hundred different ways right. that the shining is in here. And, and most of all, it's the feeling of uncertainty about the the nature of what's happening. And I think that's where this movie shines to me. No mm-hmm. pun intended. <laughs> Shines like Willem Dafoe's eye sockets. Uh-huh. Or like Danny uh, Torrance. <laughs> there's also, there's like I said, the other plain reading is like Willem Dafoe just fucking with this guy. Like, you yeah. know, he's, 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 he's offensively, like the first couple of introductions, it just seems like he is trying to provoke a reaction from Robert Pattinson's character. And there's like this hole in his bed that this scrimshaw mermaid stuck into, which becomes like this totem that kind of drives him insane. Um, and he's just constantly like, there's this thing where he's whitewashing the lighthouse on this like little uh, b- bosun's chair and Willem Dafoe drops him, but it's never ad- addressed or dealt with. Yeah. And then he like provokes Robert Pattinson to rage. It looks like he's going to get a thrashing, and then he suddenly becomes meek and submissive. And 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 yeah, there's there's like um when Robert Pattinson stands up like after he smacks him for like saying you know your superstition about the birds is bullshit. There's this giant diabolical shadow that looms behind Robert Pattinson, and it looks like that's what scares Willem Dafoe. And I think that was kind huh. of so, one an early thing that's interesting that like he saw something in him, but. It's so crazy because there's like there's this imagery of these rolling logs and this corpse in the sea that is a version of something that happened to him and his foreman in the you know I guess it's the Nantucket Bay yeah um you know whether he deliberately murdered the guy or whether he passively watched an accident and didn't do anything about it but that there's sometimes that. When Robert Pattinson has a scene where he goes to empty the night buckets, you see these logs of shit rolling around in that piss bucket, huh. and it's exactly the same meta, the visual metaphor yeah. of the logs rolling. And it's like one of those things where, like, sometimes I just felt like this film was just on the edge of like pulling my leg. Oh yeah, <laughs> I mean, every time Willem Dafoe rips a fart, I'm like, okay, yeah. how how serious am I supposed to treat this thing? Like. You've got this ultra serious tone for most of it, but then it's just interrupted and injected with these farts, which was delightful to me. I loved every second of it, but it does. Yeah, it leaves me asking the question, like, how how seriously do you want me to take this film? Right. And like there's a scene of Robert Pattinson furiously masturbating in Uh the the engine room. And he's 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 fantasizing about this mermaid character that he saw. 
a scrimshaw mermaid and then there's this like close up picture of her m- mermaid vagina mermaid puss yeah I, right right as right right as he climbs his her, her wet mermaid pussy right as he's uh, climaxing but it like ruins it for him somehow which might feed into the homoeroticism or maybe just like you know like it's pretty gross looking fish puss uh yeah and and some I, of that stuff you're right is weird like so the so the mermaid statue figurine or whatever comes mm-hmm. out of this hole in the mattress and you almost right. get the impression that like all of this could be not really happening like maybe when mm-hmm. he's envisioning the mermaid puss or whatever uh he's over there like fucking this hole in his mattress where this mermaid figurine came out of like right i don't know what i'm supposed to think right Right, because I don't think he's he's literally like, like I, I don't think there are any mermaids that are real in this film. Um, yeah, bold stance to, to come out <laughs> right. against mermaids like that. <laughs> I, I don't I don't think there's a uh, some betentacled uh, fish monster up in the top of the lighthouse, but yet he sees that and hey, I've seen seeing it at the time. I've seen when... I've seen Willem Dafoe's dick, <laughs> and it's been like ten years. Maybe it's it developed some suckers on it. You know, that thing's a monster. <laughs> Maybe. I and mean, he's, na- seen his dick. he's I've naked seen up there. Sperm he's, now, so. he's he's naked up there every night. So uh-huh. you know, it's it's I, I could I could buy that. I could buy that. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's fucked up, but I loved it. Since the dawn of time, we've been putting clothes on our back that identify us with our people, our group, our tribe. And why Bald Move might be one of the smallest, weirdest tribes out there, transcending all concepts of border, class, culture, and creed, we still have respect for the old ways. At support.baldmove.com, you can get t-shirts, hats, mugs, and more. We have something for every one of our podcasts, or just wear the four pips of the Bald Move logo with pride. Bald Move merch beats running around naked, and they make a great gift for the Bald Move fan in your life. Join our tribe. Head over to support.baldmove.com and click on merch to start shopping. Commission podcasts are an awesome feature here at Bald Move that allows you, the individual listener, to decide what we talk about for a single podcast. The community loves it because it often leads to fun fan favorite films and TV shows that we've overlooked getting the coverage they deserve. And we love it because we're constantly exposed to great stuff that's not even on our radar. The way it works is simple. You go to support.baldmove.com and you click on commissions. Then you pay the flat rate for the commission and tell us what two-ish hours of content you'd like us to make podcast on. Then we'll contact you for details, advanced feedback, and any dedications you'd like to make. Then we watch the thing, discuss the thing, turn it into a podcast, and pump it right into your ears. We get consistently great feedback on how much our commissioners love their podcast, and they make great gifts for the dedicated Bald Move fan in your life. And who knows, that dedicated fan could even be you. Treat yourself. Check out support.baldmove.com for more info. Um, yeah, and then just like there's so many, there's so many amazing li- dial. There's so much amazing dialogue in this film. Like almost yeah. everything that comes out of Willem Dafoe's face is amazing. Can, can but there's I also just say- ridiculous. Let me first preface this and say that I had to turn on the subtitles in this movie because I couldn't understand a goddamn word. I turned my 
my sound system up as loud as I dared. And it didn't matter. Oh, yeah, like, it wasn't a problem of hearing the words. It was a problem of understanding what the fuck they were saying. Yeah, it's very much like, um, you know, Brad Pitt's uh, pikey dialogue from Snatch. Like, it's yeah. it's this very heavy, seagoing vernacular uh, that I actually didn't... F- I, I didn't find it as tough sledding. Maybe it's because I just watched four Pirates of the Caribbean films. Maybe, Maybe. it's because, you know, this is a lot like uh, this, this vernacular is familiar from the Patrick O'Brien series that I love so much. But right. um, there is a couple of... Um, there's a scene where they get in a fight over Willem Dafoe's cooking and Willem Dafoe launches on like a three minute long unbroken nautical curse uh-huh. that he unleashes on Robert Pattison. And it's one of the most remarkable things I've ever seen. Like the camera never cuts away from Willem Dafoe's crazy face. And he's just saying, you know, just 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 damning him with Poseidon's asshole and Triton's <laughs> dick and Proteus's armpit. And, you know, just you'll be a blasted film, the nothing of your soul that'll be consigned to the emperor of the deep, whatever. Just goes on and on and on. And then like they're the both men kind of sink to the floor panting. And there's this crazy tension. It's broken by Robert Pattinson saying, Fine, have it your way. I like your cooking. Right. And then that's the end of the scene. Um, and, then and, there's and the there thing are no where... less than, than two of those from Willem Dafoe in this movie. When, when he's also talking about like how if I ask you to do this and I ask you to do that, you'll do it with a smile on your face in the, the most flowery sea dog prose you've ever seen or heard. Yes. And, and that's not the limit of it. Robert Pattinson also has one of those. Uh, inc- just epic. I've never seen anything like it. Dialogues. I hate monologues. your rants. I hate your goddamn. It's all in this like thick Boston beat. I hate you, got your goddamn farts. <laughs> you goddamn farts. And your rancid foreskin. You smell like smegma. And, like it's <laughs> curdled foreskin. I've never <laughs> heard insults foreskin, like this. Yeah. It's incredible. Absolutely yeah. incredible. I cannot understand how these two actors were not nominated, at least fucking nominated for Academy Awards that year. Leonardo DiCaprio got nominated for his performance in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. This is light years better than that. Light years from both yeah. of these guys. Yeah, it's it's a demand. It's It seemed like it was a demanding shoot. They're constantly wet um, and in this cramped environment. They're just screaming at maximum volume to each other with... I thought fairly interest like, you know, um, Robert Pattinson's Boston was interesting because like when he's calmer and less sober, it seemed like he was suppressing it pretty well. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then like he played it up like the angrier and the more drunk he got, the more the Boston baked bean came out. Um, but yeah, it's not none of this was easy work to do either. I I guess this film did get a theatrical release, so it should have been under consideration. But like, I yeah. knew it as kind of like a Netflix original. Oh, oh, and it was. Um, it was nominated um, for best cinematography. Yeah, in, in the ninety second Academy Awards. So like, it was eligible totally. Do you think there's just a little bit of chauvinism that this didn't get like you know this didn't go onto the theater big? Um, because yeah, I don't understand how they didn't get a nom. I mean, and that scene alone with. Uh, Willem Dafoe, uh, you know, going on his tirade, but, mm-hmm. but then like, that was just one of so many scenes that are like that. The, the scene where he's being buried alive mm-hmm. is 
Oh, God. I have to imagine traumatic for an actor. Like, he's it's a wonder. It's a, a single shot that's doing a close zoom on his face as dirt is being dumped onto him. And yeah. it's a good long three-minute scene. And the entire time, they start dumping dirt on his chest. But as he's ranting uh, at, at uh, Ephraim, he's progressively like it's coming up toward his face and eventually Starts burying he's just face. being hit in the face with shovels of dirt still ranting dirt you can tell in his eyes in his mouth he's having a hard time even getting through that scene and yet the performance is incredible this is sam raimi shoveling dirt on bruce campbell in army of darkness only it lasts three minutes and he's yeah. reciting shakespeare through it right and you can tell like it's getting in his eyes it's getting oh, yeah. in his nose it's starting to choke his mouth and he's just like Adding that, like, to the because that's what the guy would really be struggling with down in the depths of this being buried. Yeah, I, you could probably <laughs> yeah, hear I, in I the, the tone of my voice, but I was thoroughly impressed with the actors. Yeah, no, and then and this again, this film is such. A, I won't say it's a pleasure to watch because it's an assault, but okay. it yeah. isn't a chore. Like you said, like you know, when you see like, oh god, this like really high concept, black and white, weird aspect ratio, old timey. Uh, techniques and minimalist setting and and uh, set. Although I yeah. thought the set design was pretty, like they built this. Did you know this? They built this lighthouse. This movie cost four million dollars. They built this lighthouse from scratch. Rip? Huh? No, I didn't know that. Yeah, they, it was it was purpose built for this film. Um, and like all like I, I thought the set design, even though it's very minimalist as far as far as its size, it's like I've been into a lot of these old lighthouses. Like Beaver Island's got like three different yeah. lighthouses. Uh, one that you can actually climb up to the top and see the thing. And like it there, I, I felt like a lot of familiarity. Um, these look exactly like these old abandoned, decrepit lighthouses that were. It's so wild because it's one of those things where they have like relatively speaking in human history. These lighthouses only were around for 100, 200 years. And then they all were replaced in the middle of the 20th century by radio beacons and automatic things. And like, yeah, it, it's kind of like the same where like, you know, they used to have, um, you know, guys that ran the back of the train, the caboose guys that lived mm-hmm. in these like little, like little, like little tiny cabins that were pulled along by the, the railroad and they would do signal switching and stuff like that. Like they had these, there's this career that was vital for the industry of a nation and the world for 50, 60 years. And then it's gone. It's yeah. just gone overnight. And these wikis are the exact same way. Um, like, and I don't know, like there's, I love the detail. Like Willem Dafoe's character has like a old sailing ship uh, tattooed on his chest because, you know, he grew up in an era where it was the last of this, this age of sail before the ironclads and the steamships took over. Yeah. All this crazy, like upheavals and technology and careers. And, uh, you know, people used to like at this time, we're getting paid to fill up street lamps with whale oil (laughs) that was a career you could have that was a job and then they would be delivering milk and now they're driving uber uber there's Mm -hmm. a lot of like really weird kind of like uh, societal dread of change and you know there's a little bit of like this new guy threatening this old guy's position if you want to read it that way too really really falls in line with like the prometheus myth right like Right. You know, Zeus, I I am certain, had to feel challenged by Prometheus stealing the fire from him uh, and tricking him, like all, all the things that Prometheus does to Zeus. Um, yeah, that 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 seed change is 
unsettling certain. Do you want to talk about some of the, just the, like the crazy imagery? Because like again, I think we talked about the dialogue and performances, but there's some things that are just like audiovisual set pieces. Um, I'll go first. Robert Pattinson beating the fuck out of this one-eyed seagull. Uh huh. Um, that was just insane. And I, I, I mean, clearly, I don't think he really beat a seagull to death. Like it could have no. been a, it could have been a dead bird. It could have been a fake bird. Yeah. But it just went. It like it started off as like just a person acting out in a, a fit of peak, but it turned into this like enduring, long boiling over rage that mm-hmm. I found like truly frightening like if you saw like if you're willem dafoe and you're up in the lighthouse and you see that this this man's off his nut uh yeah i'd be scared of it sure yeah i thought that was something that i just like what an unrestrained in in insane performance do you got do you got any you want to talk about there are a thousand in this movie um i i thought let's talk about the top of the lighthouse um the actual light compartment of the lighthouse where he's not allowed in he goes up to that several times and he's trying to look in and see what's going on and one of those times is willem dafoe up there masturbating and his semen is dripping down through the grate and the light is blinding and there are tentacles up there and it's just like an extraordinarily like repulsive and disturbing and some somehow like even more curious Oh, I didn't. I didn't get that. That's what was happening. Oh wow. I mean, I thought it was. I mean, yeah. Like I didn't see that the seagull had one eye either. Okay. Which one-eyed seagull is that a is that a penis joke too? Like, oh, you're right. <laughs> because I I I read that the uh, this this interview with um, uh, Robert Eggers where he said that the lighthouse is intentionally phallic and in yeah. fact there was a scene that they intended to cut from this wide angle, well, as wide as you can get on a, in a box aspect ratio, of the, the lighthouse and then smash cut to Robert Patterson's erect penis. And they removed that cut from the final film. To so make they, it they do put it in the scene when he's masturbating, right? Out in the, the shed or whatever. Uh, like they do show a lighthouse Inter- intermixed with like the mermaid puss and him jacking it and but they but they don't actually cut to his erect like you know full like right. I, I guess it's got to be one to one like his penis would be completely replaced or this last <laughs> like replaced a slow fade back and yeah. forth <laughs> or, uh, who knows but I guess the fi- fi- financiers of the film requested they remove that which like I oh, said this that, film was Robert Pattinson a financier of this film <laughs> is that what I'm hearing <laughs> um I do think that like that might have been a smart cut because this film did teeter on the edge of self-parody and ridiculousness. Yeah. Um, it never came even close to that, but I could, but that's, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, uh, once you go too far, you can't come back, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you can't, you can't, uh, you can't act sane once everyone sees that you're crazy. Uh, like Patterson tries in this, you got any other, uh, set pieces? Cause I got at least one more. Um, I, well, well if I want to talk about more of the lighthouse, um, and the top of it, yeah, because I had the, the the like um, the penultimate sequence yes, okay. where he goes up and looks in directly into this thing's Fresnel lens, and we talked about the silver screen effect and how like crazy the contrast is. But I feel like they just kept on opening up the shutter and opening up the shutter, and Robert Pattinson's face dissolving into this horrific demonic visage of just 
light and shadow and angles and screaming and the sound, the foghorn being remixed and and over distorted. And like, I felt like it was going to destroy my, my speakers. Um, I felt like it was going to destroy Robert Pattinson's throat, like the way he's screaming. I, I don't know what, I mean, that's just a visual that defies description. It's something that's worth the price of admission all by itself. Just to like, you're watching that just like, what does this mean? What is he seeing? What is he feeling? Uh, and I saw a lot wa- of reviews quest- like asking that direct question, like, what did he see in the light? <sighs> and I never even thought to ask that question when I was watching it. It's just yeah, a man, me either. you know, it's, it's a man losing his mind. Yeah. Yeah, like you, you should ask that questions five gallons of turpentine ago. Like <laughs> you might have gotten, you might have got an answer, but like at this point, um, and uh, to, to like I almost there's I almost think the movie might have been stronger without the overt Prometheus shot at the mm. end of the because you know that does bring it to the literary analysis of like a seventh grade you know uh, gifted talented lit program right. Yeah. Uh, like him screaming into the lighthouse and just fading to black um, might have been. But I don't know. You can almost say the same thing about the witch, right? Like if they had ended with uh, her conversation with Black Philip and then didn't go spoilers for the witch, spoilers for a five year old movie. They didn't show her like literally getting naked with other witches no. and floating into the air. Disagree. Hard disagree. Really? That's my that's my favorite shot in the witch. I, I think it's so remarkably unsettling. Uh I see why you would say it though. Like, yes, it seems like I, it puts I get what, the your, thumb what your point on, is it, here. Yeah, it, like the the film feels heavy hand, but I I think that like yeah. maybe you're so restrained, kind of like, am I seeing something supernatural here? Or am I just seeing crazy people in the woods? Am I seeing something supernatural here? Or am I just seeing a man losing his mind because he's drinking turpentine and he's been alone for six weeks and he's malnourished and all this stuff? Yeah. Like. Maybe the film earns like uh, uh, putting its thumb on the scale of symbolism. But I did feel like that, like I, you know, again, I immediately got it like, oh, he's Prometheus. Look at him. He's got his he's getting his liver pecked out literally by a seagull. Right. Um, But that that last visual was so bonkers and so otherworldly. And so just the picture of a man losing his mind that. Uh, it it is almost anticlimactic to end with the the bird pecking his liver out. As crazy as that sounds, right? <laughs> right. No, it's yeah. That last shot is remarkable. It's it's also well, not not the last shot. I mean, the last shot is good. I I think I like the Prometheus. Mm-hmm. Um, it's maybe a little too overt. Um, but it does make me go back and want to watch this movie again from that angle and see yeah, what they're sure. getting at because I I feel like there's a lot of mud in there, right? Like. There's a lot of fog in the Prometheus myth within this movie, and I don't know if it's trying to tell me that he is, in fact, Prometheus, or that Prometheus was something he was aspiring to and failed, or or what. Um, he certainly gets mm. the same punishment, but that scene where he's looking into the light, um, even before it starts to do all of its crazy, um, you know, white-out kind of stuff, the, the light itself is beautiful. Like, I, the construction, it's... It's something that I can only like we recently covered devs and we were talking about how beautiful the computer, the quantum computer was yes. within, uh, you know, that that whole show. It's something like that. It's something like Annihilation, where you see this image that is so beautiful that you can't really even take in what you're seeing. Um, 
and like the cinematography here is just so so freaking good and that's part of what makes this just a great film yeah those fresno lenses um are remarkably beautiful they look like some kind of tesseract like yeah uh, six dimensional construct when they're rotating and there's this all these like prisms stacked on prisms and they're a real thing like they're they're these these works of physics and engineering marvel um mm-hmm. you know they're they're really rare because uh the, most of them got destroyed um some of them are preserved in museums and whatnot but yeah like you're right there that was just a you can kind of understand why Willem Dafoe, if he was a real person and not a figment of Robert Pattinson's <laughs> imagination or or subconscious, would be jealous yeah. of of uh, pre- preserving that intimate relationship that he had with that innermost part of the lighthouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's one other question I had, and this is the thing that I, that I want to explore in further watches. But like, um, there's this thing with Robert Pattinson's relationship with the foreman that you find out he took his name and took his identity. Um, what do you think actually happened? Because I don't, I don't think that what the movie said where he essentially, this guy got caught in this rolling surf with the logs in it and got crushed to death. And I, I, I think he took a little, my, my gut feeling is Robert Pattinson's character took, a lot more of a uh, hand in, in killing him because you hear about this foreman, yeah. how he was always riding him and he was critical. And he also like, if there's any homoeroticism there between him and Willem Dafoe, like I noticed how strikingly attractive the man was too. Oh, okay. And like, yeah. there might be like this kind of self-hating homosexuality at this character. Certainly. What, could what, be. What's, what's your take on, on this? So I think the movie tells you two things one very overtly and this is why i'm kind of interested to go back with the prometheus stuff but one very overtly and one a little more subtly um so he's got the story like oh you know it was an accident he fell in and i just stood there and watched him the key thing i think is when he says and afterward all i could think was i want to smoke and if you look if you go then and you look at when he kills willem dafoe um, with the axe, the very first thing he does is turn around and light a cigarette. And in my opinion, uh, I think what the movie is saying there is that yes, he did in fact f- kill that foreman. Okay, that that actually tracks pretty. Because there's also something in Willem Dafoe's description of like his surviving a shipwreck that made me think there was a mirror of those two things. Yeah, that like uh, you know maybe Willem Dafoe literally had the same story as Robert Pattinson, which. Also, again, I'm going to be looking for the fact that, like, maybe Willem Dafoe literally is Robert Pattinson (laughs) Uh uh, or an aspect of his consciousness. But, like, because I was using that as to try to figure out, it's like, oh, well, if he's lying, because you could see that Robert Pattinson was like, hey, no, wait a second. You just said that this guy did this, but then you said he did that. And, like, how is that possible? And how do you chew grass if you don't got any teeth? I, I, I thought there is a... There is a mirroring of the the two men spilling the bean their beans about their deepest darkest darkest secrets that uh, and what you mentioned about know, like, like the that. bleeding of the conscious and the subconscious right why'd you spill the beans it's almost like the subconscious asking the conscious why why yeah. you admitted what you did you know it's we like, came out here to get a fresh start why are you bringing why are you tormenting us with this yeah yeah yeah, yeah. man what a film though I agree what a film it's I thought it was incredible uh, do you got anything else you want to say no. Okay, well, we have uh, another black and white thriller banger for you 
next week uh, if you come back to the Prestige feed because we're going to be looking. I think this is a first for Bald Move. We've never covered an Alfred Hitch- Alfred Hitchcock film. Um, yeah. So someone, after we got done doing the uh, the Hustler, we're on a little bit of a black and white kick here. They they mm-hmm. said that they wanted us to do a Hitchcock as we'd never done one before. So I put up a poll, and the number one, by a two-to-one margin, uh, the Bald Move fandom selected uh, uh, a Hitchcock's classic Rear Window. Uh, starring oh, the Johnny Jay- Depp went uh, Johnny Depp movie, right? <laughs> no, what? I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, it's there's a there's a secret window, I think is what it's called or something. Oh, is it? Yeah. Um, I, I've heard that this is essentially the Shia LaBeouf film Suburbia remade. Oh. Um, but it, it's a classic Hitchcock film stars stars James Jimmy Stewart, uh, the the beautiful Grace Kelly and Raymond Burr. Um. You might wonder, like, well, how did this win with uh, if you put Birds and Psycho on the poll? It's because I left Birds and Psycho off. I figured that everybody, <laughs> everybody would pick those films, which I've seen both of them, and I wasn't as interested as, as in doing that as as something a little bit more. Uh, not that the, you can you can find any film of Hitchcock's is truly off menu or off the beaten path. They're all pretty famous in their own right. Uh, but we'll be talking about uh, the Rear Window, a classic suspense, a psychological thriller next week. Uh, so come back to Bald Move Premium. I'm sorry, Bald Move Prestige. Bald Move Prestige to enjoy that. And until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya.